0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter, shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come. Let's listen in. You have a Bible. The music has just went right along with where we're at in the grand old book of Romans, the grand old chapter 8, and some grand old verses, verses 28 through 39. If you're a student of God's Word, you, you perk up when you hear Romans, you perk up when you hear Romans 8. If you're not, perk up anyway. It's a good passage of Scripture that's good for us. And it speaks to the sovereignty of God, the love of God, the grace and mercy of God salvation that god has extended to the world and a lot of what we've talked about and sung about this morning and i feel like we're right on target with where god would have us all to be this morning in romans chapter 8 matthew mark luke john acts romans as a custom and tradition here we stand as we honor god's word if you want to stand with us a lot going on i haven't extended a personal Welcome to you visiting today, but thanks for visiting with us. You've um, been here for 45 minutes now, and you kind of figured out how we are. And um, now you're going to figure out how I am, if you've never been here before. And you may leave and say, I'm never coming back. And uh, that's all right. You won't be the first one that doesn't like me. No, just kidding. Um, Appreciate you being here this morning, worship with us as we study the Word of God and ask God to show us something help us. Anybody need help today? Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 39, Paul is writing to this church. He's writing to believers, and he says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be Conform to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, I'm going to read that again, and I want you to focus not on what you don't understand in that verse, I want you to focus on what we can understand. For whom he did foreknow, I'm not God, can't figure out his foreknowledge. You got him figured out, then you're anti scripture. Because the word says, his ways are above my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. His knowledge is so high, you cannot attain it. So whether you strive all your life to act as if you have attained it, you're incorrect. So I'm not going to pretend to be a pastor to understand this or understand God. So let's not focus on that. That's all I'm going to say about it, by the way, for those of you who are interested them he also called, and whom he called he justified. I'm, I went to verse 30. I want to turn it out. For whom he did for no, he predestinated. Let's forget what you don't know, and let's look at the purpose to be conformed to the image of his son. We got a lot of people trying to figure out God's knowledge and missing the point that his plan is for us to be conformed to his image. I'd hate to think I have mastered God's knowledge, but not look like Jesus. Now that's all I'm going to say about that. Moreover, whom he predestinated, them he called, and whom he called, them he justified, and who he justified, he glorified. Paul says, what shall we say to these things? This is a mouthful, three verses. If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, that was God who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Supply all things. Supply our spiritual necessities. Some of you got excited, thought we were at Joel's church. God's gonna give us everything. He asked this question, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who can make any accusations against those who are called, those believers? It is God that justifieth. Who is it that condemns us? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that he is risen, he is now at the right hand of God, and he makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, as it is written? He quotes Psalm 44, as it is written, for thy sake we are all killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things, in all of these adversities... And everything the enemy can throw against us, and all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The old old fashioned song you say, I'm on the winning side. It might not feel like it every day of your life, but we're on the winning side. For I am persuaded, Paul says, I'm convinced, I am confident. That neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers or things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I could preach this in one sentence, uh, I would and you'd be happy, but there's nothing, no enemy, no thing that can separate a born-again, called believer from the love of God. Nothing. Would you pray with me real quick? Father, thank you for your word. God, I've already been encouraged just by reading this passage again. No doubt there are believers here that are encouraged, excited by the truths that we just read. I pray that we would be motivated to persevere, to work with confidence in our future as believers to keep on keeping on knowing that you are for us and it really doesn't matter who is against us when you're for us god even more importantly there may be someone here today who would love to be able to trust in the promises in this passage of scripture but they're not born again. They've never made you Lord of their life. They're not a believer. And today, may they see themselves as your word tells us they are, lost and separated by sin from you and in need of salvation. We ask, today would be the day your Holy Spirit would convict their hearts. They would accept you as their savior so that they can be comforted by this passage of scripture. We ask this in Jesus name, amen. You may be seated. You and I as believers can have confidence in the word of God, confidence in the power of God, confidence in the truth of God's word. I wanna preach for just a little while on the thought of confidence for the called. An old-fashioned preacher that I refer to many times on Wednesday nights by the name of J. Vernon McGee made this statement about Romans 8.28. He said, if Romans is the greatest book of the New Testament and chapter 8 is the highest watermark of Romans, then verse 28 must be the pinnacle. R.A. Torrey said that Romans 8.28 is a soft pillow for a tired heart. No doubt if you've been in church any amount of time, been a believer any amount of time, know anything about Scripture, you've probably alluded to, quoted, or heard. I'm really loud up here. I'm not sure what's going on. Romans 8, 28. All things work together. When do you hear that passage of Scripture? When you're in the lowest parts of your life. When does does your mind go to that passage of Scripture? when you're going through the difficulties, when the trials are the toughest, when the fire is the hottest, when the road is the roughest. That rhymed, that wasn't supposed to. <laughs> we are instantly by the Holy Spirit or by our mind or by our conscience prompted if we've known the passage. All things work together for good. And I hope you don't stop there. But we have a promise from God that's to believers that all things work together for good. If you're living this life and you've not experienced the difficulties of life, good for you. We applaud you. Afterwards, we'd like to meet with you and find out how you avoided any trials or catastrophes in your life and hear a word of testimony. So you think, maybe, maybe I haven't been through anything terribly bad. That is great, that is good. But what Paul is talking about is the the spiritual trials, the spiritual persecutions, the spiritual tough times. Just before verse 28 and verses 22 and 23, we hear him talking about how creation is groaning as birth pains in a mom. Just for fun, only moms have birth pains. Make sure we're still on the same page. Mm. it's amazing he says for we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now and not only they but ourselves believers we also which are the first fruits or we have the first fruits of the spirit even ourselves groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body oh Romans 8 has a lot of big words a lot of theological words A lot of doctrinal words that maybe some of you would like for me to talk about, but I've already done that for today. But what Paul is saying is a believer experiences the groanings of this difficult life. Even as Christians, it is difficult, but we do so groaning in pain, knowing, looking for the culmination of our salvation the adoption, the redemption of our body. We're not groaning as Christians waiting to be saved. We're saved groaning, looking for the day that we are glorified, that we are transformed into the likeness of Christ in a new body, in a new home, in a new presence. By the way, Paul said, if we had hope in this life only, we would be of all men most miserable. We can make it through these difficult times in your life and in my life and in this world as Christians, even with joy, knowing that we're headed for something far better. He says, I reckon that the struggles of this life are nothing to be compared with the glory of the next life. Uh, Here's what I tell myself. I'm not sure this is exactly the way God would want it to be, but I think so if the worse it gets, the better it gets. The, the tougher the trial, the greater the reward. The uglier it gets down here, the more beautiful the picture is of up there with him in his presence. So Paul talks and encourages the believers in this text by saying, yeah, there's something to look forward to. And the more we go through these Crazy times here. As believers, Romans 828 is a soft pillow to lay our heads on. It's the some of you might have it's the my pillow <laughs> of scriptures. God bless that man. Just a straw pole. How many have purchased at least one type of my pillow? He sends his personal thanks and gratitude to you. How many of you are still using it? Oh, look at that. Wow. Buy another one. Watch Fox News. You get a code, you get 25,000% off. They give them. It's the pillow, it's the soft pillow for a tired heart. Here's what I know if we're honest, as believers, many of us live with a tired heart. difficulties, struggles, sickness, all caused by the sin that exists, that we're living in the midst of. I want to go a step further, not that I'm better than R.A. Torrey, but I want to say this, and I hope this can be real in my life, and I hope it's real in your life, and we apply it and we act on it, that this book is a soft pillow for a tired heart. Not just one verse, although I understand but this is the place we go to find comfort, that the, the good shepherd who wants to comfort us, comforts us through his word. There's a lot of places you have opportunity to turn to in this tough life, but there's only one place that's a soft pillow for a tired heart. In this passage of scripture, as we look at the confidence for those who are called, I want us to first look at God's purpose. I, I kind of made a point about this when we read the text so that we get out of the the craziness for a second and look at the purpose and here's what I want to tell and I ask these graduates to sit down this is for all of us but certainly to them and I hope you parents and grandparents and family would amen this for your children and grandchildren but they're walking into a new phase in their life a new chapter in their life it's a lot of decisions think back if you can if you can get through the fog and the cloud for some of you longer than others and go back to the day you graduated the week you graduated gonna be thousands of students graduate this week think of what your life was like think of how overwhelmed you might have been what do i do think about the pressures. do i get a job do i make money do i take a year off do i go to college do i go to military whatever i got a good job now it's 12 dollars an hour good enough no 15 is good enough I, can i live on 15 let's all tell them no you can't you need more than that if i go get a job they've got a lot going on not to mention The influences, the satanic influences, the the enemy's influences, the things that they have. Listen, I know we all think we had it tough, but they have opportunities. Our young people have opportunities, good opportunities, but a lot more worse opportunities than you and I, I, I had ever had access to. They live in a different world with different challenges But here's what I want us all to understand. The first thing that we notice is God has a purpose for your life. I've used this analogy or this example forever and ever and ever and ever. Whether you like the man or not, whether you think he's a heretic or not. Rick Warren wrote a book called Purpose Driven Life. It's hard to believe he wrote that book 20 years ago in 2002. 2002. The Purpose Driven Life stayed on the New York Times bestseller list for 90 straight weeks. It sold 32 million copies in the first 10 years. Started to do that math. How much is a book? I wonder if he kept his salary at the church, you know, things like that. By two years ago, 2020... There have been 50 million, over 50 million copies sold in over 85 different languages. I threw that in there to say this. The world wants to know they have purpose. Does that mean everybody that's read Purpose Driven Life is a Christian? Absolutely not. Because the world wants to know they have purpose. People want to know, what am I here for? I believe that's an apologetic for Scripture, by the way. I believe that's an apologetic for God and his creation, is that people want to know why they're here and who put them here. I believe Scripture is very clear that creation longs to know his or her creator. I believe the world is full of people with holes in their heart looking for somebody to fill it, asking the question why, and, and he capitalized on it big time. Because people want to know their purpose. Jeremiah was told by God, "I know the plans I have for you." And so if we learn anything from this passage is God has a purpose, but what we what's really really fundamental in verse 28 is that Paul is talking about God's purpose for believers. He refers to them as the called We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, that's a believer, to them who are the called, that's the believer. Once again, I'm not going to elaborate on some of the conversations and the tennis matches back and forth, but what I do want to say is the called are born again believers. It's unfortunate, even when you make your sermon today, pastor probably you probably find you get scared to say the word christian because christian has so many different definitions so i'm not i mean i'm i'm kind of not saying christian oh what happened tomorrow everybody you come in contact with ask them if they're a christian you want to do that for me and come back and give me the results next sunday This say walmart how you doing, you Christian? For you that don't love Jesus, still go to Target? Hey, are you, are you, do, you, do you, do you, are you a Christian? I've got to throw it in. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? you stand in line at the bank. Are you a Christian? You go to school tomorrow, ask everybody. Hey, what can they do? Kick you out? You've got like a half a day left anyway. Hey, hey, you, you're a Christian, you're a Christian. And I promise you, it will be overwhelming majority to say yes. Now, if you go ask one of them that looks like they're about to blow the place up, they're probably going to say no. So, don't ask them because it'll mess up my results. But, are you a Christian? The world says they're a Christian. 80% on almost every given research and poll says they're Christians in America. If 8 out of 10 were truly born-again Christians, we wouldn't have the mess we have right now. Go to Congress, ask them. How many of you Christian? Oh, y'all see this? I, sometimes I love Catholics. Listen, um, good Catholics. Some of you don't know me. Just laugh and say he's crazy. I'd like, to, I'd like to kiss on the cheek the Catholic priest or whoever that just denied Nancy Pelosi communion. He might know Jesus. He, he might. On one hand, that's hilarious to me. On the other hand, I'm like, that's sad. But I'll stop. And it won't go any further. It's important for us to understand. Here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the platform. Here's the foundation. If you're here today, If you listen to this message, you listen, read this text, you don't have the comfort. You don't have the confidence found in this passage of scripture unless you're born again. This is a specific passage of scripture to a specific group of people. The called. Who are the called? For lack of going into a dissertation, it's those that are born again. To answer a question and use the word, the called are those who are not just called, but that have accepted the invitation. There's some text behind that too, but we don't have time for it. For those of you who are still kind of, you don't know and you're still wondering, I believe that God loved the world and he made salvation available to the world. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's how this pastor believes. And if you ever hear me preaching in a way that is contradictory to that, you need to find out what's going on. And we can have some deeper conversations over coffee or over lunch, but I believe that this book teaches that God loved the world and he offered the free gift of salvation to whosoever will. That's what I believe. Do I understand God? Nah. Is my knowledge his knowledge? Nope. As brilliant as I am, I can't tell you in honesty that I think I've got him figured out. And if we're all honest, we're going to own up and have a little humility and say that God's ways are not my ways. But I'm just going to trust in his word and let him do the work. Now, what I am certain is in this text that it's all about God, that he's in control and that he is sovereign. But that's getting ahead, so I'll stop, and I know I'm on limited time already. This passage of Scripture is to believers, the called who receive the invitation. All things work together for good for them who are the called. It's going to work out, and it's going to work out for your good if you are truly born again, Have truly made him Lord of your life. All these things that have happened and are happening in your life. I even believe the dumb, silly decisions that we make. Because God is sovereign and he is authority for those who are believed. By the way, Christians still make dumb decisions. We still make wrong decisions. But what's important is that we made the one decision that makes all the difference. The sooner, by the way, the sooner the church realizes that, law, that saved people still mess up, the better off we'll all be. If we all had this figured out, just go home. What you here for? Tell everybody how perfect you are? We're here because this is a hospital for the sick. This is a place where we get our, our wounds bandaged. We get the, the methylate put on them. That's just for a certain demographic to understand that. And then when it happens, we scream. Ah, I hurt. Preacher stepped on my toes. No, he didn't. The Word of God does. And I, I come in here on Sundays with red methylate marks all over me sometimes. You don't see. Explain that to your kids and grandkids that are looking at me real funny right now. I mean, my kids think the, the antiseptic wash things. Psh, 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 ah. Until you've had that stick of red methylate rubbed across an open wound that should have had stitches. Suck it up. If it's burning, it's working. I think of Joseph. Joseph was a man of God who trusted God. If you know anything about the story of Joseph's life. Man, you talk about a dark cloud hovering over you. By the way, don't say that in my presence. I don't like that. But anyway, um, just as personal. Um, his, his own family didn't like him, his brothers hated him. His brothers sold him into slavery. He got lied on and put in prison. But he trusted God. I, I guarantee you, Romans eight twenty eight would have been a soft pillow in the prison that Joseph was in. But I believe Joseph being committed to God knew God has a plan. Why else would he stay true to who he was? Listen, if you're going through something and you know you're a believer, unless you're truly a believer, you don't have any motivation to stay true. Just quit it. By the way, that's prophetic. There are going to be a lot of quitters in the last days. They never were who they said they were anyway. They're going to be falling away from the church. They're going to be falling away from their beliefs. Why? Because the trials are getting harder. The heat's getting hotter. They didn't lose their salvation. They never had it. Many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not go to church, get perfect attendance? Even gave them almost 10%. We did some good things. And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Not, I once knew you and you left me. Never were. This plan is for true believers. Joseph was later able to say, after God worked through him to save not only his family, but to save an entire country. Brothers, I forgive you. Oh, that's a whole different sermon there. Brothers are upset. Brothers are tore up. Man, I can't believe we did it. We started sorry. Hey, can you say this? Can you say Genesis chapter 50? I think it's verse 20 somewhere. Yeah. Do you have a story to tell? Yes, you do. Do you have a Joseph story? Probably. Been through a lot, made some bad decisions. People not like you. Well, let's have a group therapy on that. We don't have a classroom big enough, so we'll just meet in here every Sunday. How about that? Anybody been mean to you this week? Yeah, or you come to the right place. My name is Dean, and I have people that hate me. Well, welcome, <laughs> Dean. All right. And then you go around. You've been lied on this week? Yeah, my name is Dean, and I have liars who hate me. Okay, welcome. We're all in good company. You've been through something. You've got a Joseph story. You've got a testimony. Uh, Maybe one day in God's timing, those liars and those people that hate you and have done things to you, maybe one day it'll come full circle. And don't, don't, please, let's help me out. Let's not be like, God, get them. Ah, Make it be a big tree at a high speed. No, no, let's not do that. Let's do this. Maybe one day it'll come full circle and they'll acknowledge they're wrong. Maybe they'll apologize. Maybe not. But can you say like Joseph, before I, before I read this passage of scripture, I need to know that you've got a, you've got a story in your, in your head, in your heart. You've got a testimony, not of just people being mean to you. Good Lord, get over that. That's going to happen. People are mean. You've been through some situations been through some struggles, been through some trials. James tells us that the trying of our faith produces patience and spiritual maturity. Everybody got a testimony? Can you say to that friend, to that enemy, to that situation, like Joseph said, what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. Hey, that's all. About, that's that's what spiritual maturity is all about. That's God's plan. I, th- I think I just preached the sermon. God's plan, His purpose, is for confirmation, conformity to His Son. An, this is this is easy preaching and hard living. But we never more we never look more like Jesus till we can say to the enemy to the trials, to the temptations, to the issues, to the people, what you or what the enemy meant for, for bad and evil, God meant for good. If, if you're not there, and if I'm not there, it's, a, it's an evidence of the lack of spiritual maturity. That's, that's not any way pointed to somebody or critical. No, that's God's plan for our life. Because God has a purpose for the call, but his purpose is confirmation. Confirmation. That we might be conformed, verse 29, to the image of his son. He throws out that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. That means that we're the first kind and there's many others. Christians are like that. Believers, true believers are like that. You've been called for a purpose. And the purpose is to be conformed to Jesus, to look like him. And we're all honest. We look around and say, we've got a long ways to go. Anybody say a short time to get there after I said that? Okay. (laughs) A.W. Tozer said, the purpose of God isn't to save us from hell. The purpose of God is to make us like Jesus. Can you say like Job? After all these troubles and all these trials, blessed be the name of the Lord. Can you say like Job, I talked about this and we studied James. We're studying James on Wednesday night. If you don't have anything else to do, come by and see us. 630. Can you say like Job, in the middle of all these crazy trials, this is a good time to talk about this. Stock market dropped 800 points one day this week. Whoa. Can you say like Job, naked I came in, to this world and naked I'll leave blessed be the name of the Lord we can only say that when we start to look like Jesus and conform to his image that's not easy to say see how quiet it got right there it's because I talked about money I said stock market and people like threw up in their mouth real quick But just in case anybody's worried, it's not the president's fault. I don't want anybody to think it's his fault. He, he inherited it. It's We're to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's God's purpose. We get caught up in what is God's purpose for my life, and that's definitely a, a graduation conversation. And for you, it's different than you, and you and different. And we think about purpose being, you know, in, in the Rowan Salisbury school systems, we look for for three potential outcomes to be enrolled, enlisted, or employed. Three E's. That's three pretty simple decisions. But that's not answering God's purpose for our life. Answering God's purpose for our life is not necessarily our position or our job. It's as a believer to look like Him. That's His purpose. We talk about God's purpose or Paul talks about God's purpose and the reason that the purpose of God is even possible is because of the provision of God. In verse 30, he goes through a a process. Paul says, whom he predestinated, he called, whom he called, he justified, and whom he justified, he glorified. It's a picture. It's a one verse picture of our sanctification as believers, that we're called to salvation, and they were called to be like him. And it's a process. Um, I've, I differ from a lot of people and a lot of opinions. And I understand some of the things I've heard in the past, but um, I won't elaborate because I might upset some people. But we're saved positionally. And we become a new creation. When you accept Christ as your Savior, make him Lord of your life, you take on a new position. You, you are headed for hell, now you're headed for heaven. You are walking in darkness, now you're walking in light. But that doesn't mean you wake up. If you get saved today, if you make Jesus Lord of your life tomorrow today, that doesn't mean you wake up tomorrow. Ready? See, see that? And that you no longer have any problems. And that you no longer have any temptations. And that you no longer sin. It doesn't mean that you wake up tomorrow and you walk in Jesus' sandals and you act just like him. Because the sanctification, this progressive sanctification, is a process. If you get saved today and you die tonight... To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. But if you get saved today and you die six years from now or 10 years from now or 50 years from now, you ought to be a little more like Jesus than you were the day you got saved. Hey, we, we've kind of sold a bill of goods sometimes and made people feel like a major failure because a week after they got saved, they were sinning. It's, we don't measure Spiritual growth on, uh, don't say, let's measure spiritual growth on how much more a person looks like Jesus than their failures. They go hand in hand. The more we look like Jesus, the less we fail. I didn't say we stop failing. His purpose is to be conformed to Him, to His likeness, but He makes it possible through His provision we see that in the believer sanctification that we just read it's a call to salvation it's a call to service it's a call to look more and more like Jesus and so in verse 30 this is important because he says he called him he justified him by the way justified to to make righteous to make a person justified never sinned god did that And glorified. Now, there's a little caveat here that's worth mentioning. Glorified is in the past tense. Anybody in here glorified already? Well, that's a trick question. Anybody living in their glorified body? No. Anybody in here glorified? Do this. Answer yeah. Because it's past tense, it's as good as done, it's certain. Your glorification as a believer is certain. He will take care of what he started. Y'all, I know exactly what happened. Oh, it's seven teal and that's done. So because of verse 30 and all the power of that verse, Paul says, well, what shall we say to these things? It's Paul is, um, Paul has a minor in sarcasm. I found that out from the, the college of Jerusalem. I read that somewhere. And he tells the church, look at all God has done. What can we say to this? If God's for us, who can be against us? It's a rhetorical question saying, of course God is for us. Therefore, no one can be against us. Does that mean you won't have enemies? No, you will, but it doesn't matter is what he's saying. I think of these young people. I think of all of us at the same time and say, we have enemies. We have an enemy and we have enemies. But if we are secure in who we are and we've been called to salvation and we know we're growing to be more like Jesus and he's taken care of it from the beginning to the end, who cares who's against us? Who can be? What should we say to these things? Not much to say. God's for us. Don't care if you're against me. There's a lot to be said about the fact that God is for us. His message has been preached about the fact that God is for us. I want to give you this and then I'll shut up. Because this is probably one of the most important truths that is in this passage of Scripture. We, if we're not careful... We can can create an image of God where God is against us. Us as the believers. In our preaching, in our teaching, even in our parenting sometimes if we're not careful, we can create a narrative that teaches that God is against us. That God is somehow some vengeful God up there just waiting on you to mess up so he can zap you. Even believers, we've heard, I've heard, God's going to get you. Now, let me, let, me, let me go back a step. God has high expectations for his believers. He's going to hold us accountable. But God is a God of love. And the Bible tells me that not only is God a God of love, that God is love. Love. It is who he is. It is his character, not just what he does. And I can assure you, based on the word of God, he loves the world. He's not willing that any should perish, but all to come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. And that he loves in a way that nobody else loves. And you can't love in a way nobody else loves until you've experienced the love that nobody else has ever given. Paul says God is for us, so who can be against us? If there's anything we need to teach our children and our young adults today, our graduates, our kids and grandkids, is that when you're a born-again Christian and you've made him Lord of your life, God is for you. And get this picture out of our mind that God is just waiting on you to mess up, but he's up there encouraging you to look like his son. I could tell stories, I could give testimonies of major mess-ups in my life that ultimately made me look more like Jesus. Did I say I look like Jesus? Did I blow some of your mind? Whoa, I know you. No. No. Why? Because all things work together for the good of those who love him. The question is, do you love him? The question is, are you one of his? Have you made him Lord of your life? And if so, all things work together for good. How do I know if there's anything I can tell you as time runs off the clock to prove to you that God is for you? I'm talking to believers now because Paul is. Y'all with me? Can you hang on for a few more minutes? how do I prove to a high school graduate, to a grandchild, to a kid, to a young Christian that God is for us? I I don't have to come up with anything. Verse 32. You'll miss, if you miss anything, don't miss this. Paul gives an answer for the obvious question of how do I know the Lord's on my side? By the way, I'd, I'd go to bed and I'd be upset if I didn't Give you this verse for those of you who take notes. Psalm 118, 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Oh, if you need a good one to put in when you got some enemies, that's a good one right there. God's on my side. I don't have to fear. What can man do to me? Now, I've heard this, and I, I, I think I understand it. It's like, well, the worst they can do is kill me, and then I'm with Jesus. Well, I'm not really wanting to die that way but it's kind of a promotion to die. I don't mean you should go looking to die quickly. How do I know God's on my side? Verse 32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Let me first say, freely give us all things means he's gonna take care of everything to the very end. It's that glorified in the past tense. If he saved you, he has a plan, and his plan is to look like Jesus and for you to be with him one day in a glorified body. And it's been taken care of. You can't do anything to get it. It's all about him. He that spared not his own son. That's God who spared not his own son but delivered him up for us. God told Abraham to take his son Isaac, top of the mountain and to sacrifice him. It's one of the most mind blowing testaments in the Old Testament that God would ever do that. Now I want you to not forget this picture in relationship to Romans chapter 8. How do I know that God is for me? Because he spared not his own son. God told Abraham to take Isaac and lay him down. It, it's crazy. It almost makes me emotional when I even think about this picture. And I see Abraham and Isaac walking. I've seen pictures with Isaac with the wood for the fire and Abraham with a sword and a knife you see in that picture a man who is called who is a true believer Abraham he's trusting God in a way that I never want to be tested of my trust he carries his son up on top of the mountain Lays him down. Can you imagine the dialogue? It's not fairy tale. It's not Disney. It's his Bible. And Abraham raises up the knife to kill and sacrifice his own son. Who would ever do something like that? Only someone who is called of God and obedient to God. Some of you are thinking what I'm thinking and what I've thought, but I'm going to answer your thoughts because I'm a mind reader with this. God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And God's knowledge is too high for me. If I try, I can't attain it. And as Abraham's about to sacrifice his son, there's a noise in the bushes and there's a ram there for Abraham to sacrifice. In the place of his son. Because God has a purpose for our life. And we can accomplish that purpose because of his provision. Abraham's about to kill his son. God provides. And in doing so, God spared Abraham's son. But God loved you and God loved me and God loved the world so much that he spared not his own son. He spared my son. He spared Abraham's son. He spared the sons of every man, but he didn't spare his only begotten son. What love would cause God to give his only son? In my place and in your place. God is for us. God loves you. God has a plan for you. God has provided for you. And Paul is teaching the Roman church there. And he gets so excited at the end. We see Paul's persuasion where he says the last few verses. I am persuaded. Nothing. I want you to do this as we close. I want you, to, you, I want you to fill in the blank of nothing. I want you to fill in the blank. And this is going to be hard for some of you. Your worst enemy it might not be a person. It might be a temptation. It might be a trial. It might be a financial burden. It might be a fill in the blank. I am persuaded, and he lists a litany of potential things. Your thing might be different than my thing or her thing and his. It's all different. But Paul says, because of this, I am persuaded. Paul's a believer. Paul is convinced. Nothing, no thing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing. Now, if you're here today and you're a believer... You've made Jesus Lord of your life? You have no question about that? Hey, this is a soft pillow for a tired heart. Yes. This is confidence for a believer. This is comfort for a believer. Yes. Are, you, are, you, are you confident in this, believer? Are you taking comfort in this truth, believer? But if you're here today, and if you're not a born-again Christian, and you know it, only you and God know it for sure, Listen, there is no comfort. There is no comfort like this comfort, and you're not experiencing this. You cannot go through life with the hope that I have. By the way, for those of you that really, really aren't maybe up to date on it, hope in Scripture is not crossing my fingers and hoping it works out. It's a confident expectation. That means I can get up tomorrow, even though I have an enemy, even though I have tests, even though I have trials, and I can say that I'm persuaded somebody might kill me, but they won't separate me for the love of God. Somebody might hate me, but it won't separate me from the love of God. Somebody might talk bad about me. They might call me a name, but it won't separate me from the love of God because I have confidence and I have comfort in that truth. If you're lost, you don't have that. You don't know purpose like I know purpose. And you'll wake up tomorrow aimless and flapping in the wind with no confidence and no hope in your life. God wants you to have hope. this is a tough world to walk in and live in without hope. It's a messed up place to live in without confidence. Would you stand with me? I'm gonna pray, we're gonna sing. If you need to do business with God, I'm gonna ask you to do that. If you're a believer, I'm gonna help guide your prayer. I want you to pray and say, God, Thank you for loving me in a way that I can't even imagine. I hope you're encouraged as a believer to know that God is for you. God loves you. God has a plan for you. God wants to comfort you. He wants you to have hope. He wants you to have confidence. Do you have it? But as we pray and as we sing, if you're here today, and I say this week after week, if I'm, here's what I know. Lost and saved alike are gonna to have to live in this messed up world we're living in. And there are two different perspectives. There should be. There's the perspective of the one with hope and confidence. That, hey, this this just royally stinks. But God's taking care of it. He's taken care of me. He, he saved me. He sanctified me, and one day he's gonna glorify me. So all that's taken care of. Or you can walk around with your head down saying, oh no, what's going on? With no hope and no help. And if you're lost, that's you. You don't have it. You don't have that confidence. You don't have assurance and you don't have purpose. And that's not God's plan for your life. That's not God's desire. If you need to make him Lord of your life, today would be a good day to do it. Acknowledge you're a sinner. Acknowledge Jesus died to pay the price. There's a whole other point about the condemnation that Jesus took on that's in that text. He took my place, He took your place. You place your faith and trust in Him that He paid for your sin. The Bible says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can be saved today by making Him Lord of your life, trusting in Him. You can leave here different. You can go to school tomorrow with a different perspective. You can go to work tomorrow. You might still not like the person next to you, but you have a different perspective. You might not like your boss, but you have a new hope and a new life and a new confidence. I believe that's God's desire for the world. Would you pray with me, Father? Thank you for your... Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church events and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbccannapolis.com.